I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Keith Johnston. Your co-hosts for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by principal analyst Kelsey Chickering to discuss how marketers can guard against funding misinformation and disinformation. Welcome, Kelsey. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Kelsey, let's just get into it. And I'm going to hone in right on the title. Funding truth in the misinformation age. I don't think you actually mean that. Or do you? What's the there's the tension behind that funding the truth here. Set some context for us before we get into this podcast. Yeah, the reality is that marketers aren't funding the truth always. And and oftentimes they're funding disinformation, whether they know it or not. And ad tech has really made it easy to monetize the open net, the, the open web with ads, regardless of the content that's on that website. And this content is often then fed to social networks where it's spread. So big brands and small brands are all funding this problem with their ad dollars, whether they realize it's happening or not. Yeah. And I mean, take us further. I mean, you know, the result of this is that, you know, the advancements in, in ad tech and MarTech platforms, um, it's really easy to uh, monetize this idea of disinformation, right? It's super easy. So, you know, you can easily go on GoDaddy, start a, create your own website, take whatever content you want, put it on it, whether it's plagiarized content, untrue content, uh, purposely untrue content, and you can then get approved to run ads on that site. And it's relatively easy to do it. Sure, there are some checks and balances. You won't necessarily get everything approved, but there are many ad tech uh, companies out there that will approve you, which means your inventory is now available for brands to run. And that's, I mean, that's a huge problem. Yeah, I mean, who's who's checking that though? I mean, like who's who's keeping their eyes on the ball here? Some agencies, I think, are keeping an eye on it. Part of it is you need to be really diligent about the partners you're working with. You can't just work with any SSP and assume that, you know, if you're buying all open web media that you're, that you're protected, even if you think that you have brand safety in place. If you're not really scrutinizing your inclusion and exclusion list, making sure you're deciding where am I showing up and where am I definitely not showing up, you're absolutely, absolutely going to have impressions slip through the cracks. And frankly, you're probably still going to have impressions slip through the cracks. So, I mean, even one, one agency I spoke to, um, who I won't mention, but they uh, are really active in this space. They are putting a ton of rules in place. They're really good about standardizing best practices. One of their brands is one of the brands that showed up on a really nefarious site recently. So it's even happening when you're when you're watching for it. So just imagine if you're not looking for it and you're not trying to put things in place to block to block this content. What are we talking about here in terms of size of spend? Well, unfortunately, it's immeasurable because we often don't know how how often this is this is happening. But it was found, New Start and Comscore found that $2.6 billion were spent on new sites containing um, misinformation by programmatic media. So that means brands were spending on sites that they didn't necessarily realize were spreading misinformation. So that's just within the news category. So again, you can only imagine how much more extensive that would be if you looked at all sites and all information, which hasn't been measured yet. So I think that's just a small blip of, of, of the total. And again, that's not even taking into account what's happening on social media platforms where brands are also showing up adjacent to this content. And in that way, you're not necessarily funding the content right in that moment, but you're certainly funding platforms that are spreading the content, which is something to be aware of. We want to be clear that brands aren't intentionally doing this, nor are there agencies. So, I mean, there's, you know, what's, what's going on there? 
yeah, I mean, no CMO is waking up in the morning and saying, let's fund disinformation today. Like that's not happening. We know that. But what's happening is brands are careless and media agencies are sometimes careless with their media buys. And it's not on purpose, but you have a junior media planner or an analytics team who's getting the report from the partner that they're working with on all the impressions that are being served. They're not looking at every single impression being served. That's tens of thousands of, you know, sites that, that, that are being served. So the problem is there isn't that verification that's happening. So a ton of work is going up to this in this upfront part of the process and the strategy part of the process. But then you get to the verification and the after the activation part of the process and it's just not there. And, and I think that there needs to be more due diligence there. And, and that part of that's working with your partners like the oracles of the world to verify the impressions that you're, that you're actually running. Yeah, but now we have a scale issue, right? So, you know, 2010 to 2014, we had a huge ramp up and we thought that was a huge portion of programmatic and, and mm -hmm. that is, I think, in 2014, and I could be corrected, but I think it was around 30% of the market. Um, you know, going into 2019, pre-pandemic, we were like 64% of the market. Mm. So now we have this huge scale. And there used to be that, you know, six, seven billion dollars was considerable nominal waste in the media industry. But now we have these massive platforms pushing out these tiny little ads and there's fraud and there's this and there's that. And there's things that we can't view. Like, where are we headed here? I mean, you're focusing on the disinformation, but there's a bigger issue, too, before we start honing in on that. Yeah, I mean, I would put if we're looking at mis and disinformation first of all i'd put misinformation to the side for a minute because i think that one's even more complicated and a little bit more gray than than disinformation but to me any dollar spent any cent spent against disinformation is a problem for brands and like you need to draw a hard line at that even if it's not a significant part of your spend any part of your spend on Russian propaganda that's fueling the war in Ukraine, on COVID nineteen conspiracy theories, like any cent spent against that, to me is is a huge is a huge issue. This is one segment of the issues with this, mm -hmm. and I think it's why it's being overlooked. But we have just mm -hmm. we've rocketed into a, a scale equation at which yeah. you really have to be focused, and that's what we're going to get to the end of the podcast. Is like, okay, well, how do I adjust my strategy yeah. or my media plan for it? in the midst of all these things, because I think some of the carelessness is actually coming from the scale of media right, at right. this point. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a level of restraint that you need to put on, on yourself and your media by to, to tackle a problem like this or any problem where you're serving impressions you don't want to serve. Because you're right, there is scale there. And you're always, you know, as, as a media planner, as an agency, as a brand, you're always up against trying to be efficient and trying to make sure that you're hitting the numbers you're trying to hit. All of those things are really, really important. Also, <laughs> where you show up and the types of content that you support and you fund is a direct reflection of your brand and your values. So I think those two things have been separated and they need to come back together as it relates to media planning and activation. But brands don't always know where their ads are showing up, right? And we mm -hmm. think that they do, right? Certainly consumers expect that they do. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, in, in the, the, the research that we've seen, over half of consumers in the U.S. and U.K. think you know exactly, think that brands know exactly where their ads are showing up. So even though you don't know, consumers assume you know. So one of the other things that's at risk here is just trust with consumers who assume that you're stewarding your media buys in the right way. And the, the truth is, you can know. 
where your ads are showing up. I talked to one SSP and they said that they send a supply side platform and they said they send a report to everyone that they work with on exactly where every single impression, piece of content, like where it's all showing up. But no one reads it. No one looks at it. No one scrutinizes it. So the thing is, you do have that information available to you. You're just not looking at it. And why don't they? I mean, what will you tell us like, you know, hey, CMO or whoever works for the CMO, why aren't you looking at this thing? You must look at this. First of all, the CMO probably assumes that their team is looking at it. Right. <laughs> I think there's that. Um, and, and then I, I think as far as the, the team goes, you have, again, planners and buyers that are strapped for time that are moving on to the next thing are, again, trusting the partner next in the supply chain to do to, to have done the due diligence already and, and don't think that they need to. So I think it's a matter of lack of time. It's a little hard to do. Um, and also an assumption that someone else on the supply chain has already done it. Is it also just looking at like top level performance and metrics? So not getting, not digging into or double clicking into who's performing well and not well. So I mean, I'm assuming that the, some of these sites are probably riddled with bots and things that are probably boosting performance. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. You could probably look at what are your cheapest CPMs and where are they coming from? And that might give you an indication of, of a good place to start on, on a potential uh, pitfalls. But you can also work with, I mean, global, the Global Disinformation Index, GDI, they are scouring the internet for sites that have disinformation and content with disinformation. And the site list that they're constantly updating, I think it's only like a couple thousand sites. It's not crazy. It's not so significant that your scale would be ruined and that your CPMs would suddenly shoot through the roof. Like it's just getting more precise and making sure that you're eliminating the things that are really bad that you don't want to be funding for a nominal cost to, to, to do it. But those lists aren't even accurate, uh, right? Because, I mean, the social channels actually complicate this thing, oh, too, sure. because yeah. aren't the social channels going out and looking for those opportunities to use their own algorithms to almost turn your ad into something else or place it in another place? Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly part of it, too. I think you look at social media platforms and they naturally spread content that has clickbaity headlines, that has right. stuff that people... That, that, and oftentimes the stuff that's clickworthy is the stuff that are conspiracy theories, the stuff that's fake, the stuff that sounds crazy and is dramatic. And when you have the algorithms naturally promoting that type of content, of course they're going to proliferate through, through, um, through social media platforms. And guess what? When someone clicks on that content and ends up on the open web, they're being monetized with ads too. So it's this vicious cycle of monetization for sure happening on the open web, but definitely perpetuated in social media platforms and fueled in social media platforms. Yeah, so this whole issue is really anchored on trust. And I know you would tell every CMO out there that they're hurting their brand. Give us the hows and whys behind why this is hurting their brand. And you know, we'll get to what she he or she should do about it. Yeah, well, in, in our um, consumer energy index and retail poll survey, we found that 57% of US and UK online adults indicate they do not trust brands that advertise on media properties that distribute misinformation. So, okay, sure, they don't trust you if you're showing up on that site, but they also don't want to purchase from you either. So 49% in the U.S., 55% in the U.K., so they don't purchase from brands that do it either. So you're, one, of course, hurting, hurting your trust with consumers, and we know from our research that 
when when consumers trust you, you have greater opportunities for growth uh, and retention. But they also don't want to buy from you if they find out. And you know, part of this problem is you might say, well. I don't know about it. No one's going to see it. And I know everyone, I always get the comment back from people to say, well, the people are seeing it are just the people who are reading that content anyway. So isn't, you know, isn't that impression worth it? And I think there's two things there. One, Jen, you brought up about bots. I mean, sure, that's, that's oftentimes they're not even real people. Maybe they're consuming this content. So they're wasted impressions. But secondly, you can also be found and called out and you shouldn't wait for that to happen, but it can happen where a reporter, a consumer sees you show up on that site, they screenshot it, they make it public and suddenly you're seen as a brand that doesn't seem as trustworthy because you know, you can't even manage where your brand is showing up. You spend so much time and effort building a brand, putting those values in place, deciding what actions you take, you know, in the CSR world or, or any kind of corporate action yet you can't, figure out where your media is being placed. Like that just seems like table stakes to me. What are some more of those examples, Kelsey? I mean, uh, there has to be, you know, big examples that the audience would recognize. It was just like, wow. Okay. Now I get what she means. Yeah. I mean, um, you had progressive and Best Buy. They, they were among other big brands showed up on Sputnik news and tasks. So these are Kremlin tied Russian propaganda sites that have been spreading disinformation about the war in Ukraine. Those are big brands showing up on sites that they obviously do not want to be on. You have um, Amazon brands were found on over 30 sites containing um, misinformation and conspiracy theories. Wayfair was found on a site with conspiracy theories about COVID-19 vaccines. So this, again, this isn't just like a mom and pop or small business problem, although it is for sure, because they probably are putting even less measures in place than the bigger, than the bigger agencies and brands. But it's also a big brand problem with really big budgets and, you know, theoretically some of the most talented and, and, you know, big agencies that are behind them trying to kind of mitigate this. I think the other point to make here is that, like, obviously the brands themselves are not the folks who have their hands on the knobs and dials Mm -hmm. here, right? The agencies and their partners are are doing that on their behalf, but the brand has the most risk in this equation. For sure. You know, so knowing and working and forcing the hand of the the agencies, if they're not stepping up and saying, hey, these are the brand safety measures that we have in place. These are best practices. We're we're working with these industry bodies like it is on the, you know, CMO, their team to to push for this. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that's sort of how the pressure has to occur for this to be, you know, resolved or at least moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, you're right. At the end of the day, even if you're not hands-on keyboards, you are the steward of your brand. You are the one who is in charge of making sure that your brand isn't only represented well creatively, but is also represented well in the things that you find in the places that you show up um, in the media that you show show up within. So yes, at the end of the day, it falls on the brand because you are the steward of your buy. However, that means you do need to be pushing your agencies, your partners, and pushing this issue and bringing it up to them and asking them the questions like, are you working with partners like NewsGuard and, and GDI? Are, is, if you're working with a, like a, a verification partner, are they incorporating that data into their pre-bid um, uh, opportunities like Oracle does? Like, is that stuff happening? And, and have the due diligence to ask those questions. And, and we're seeing that CMOs are definitely 
more inclined to, to, to start thinking about this and do this. In the last um, CMO poll survey that we did, over 70% said uh, that mitigating misinformation and disinformation from their media is a priority for, for 2022, which is actually up from 60% in Q1. So there's certainly like improvement happening in this area. And I think some of that just comes with awareness of the problem. But awareness of the problem also needs to be, you know, understanding where the root cause is. And you listen to us the last couple of minutes. I mean, we're, we keep talking about the marketers and the agencies, but all this stuff is being pushed through platforms. So can we illuminate that side of it? Because it's, uh, I mean, there's some people, there's some people that are in place to safeguards, but they still goes back to the technology platforms that are distributing these media. What, what's that? corner look like? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, breakdowns happen in literally every part of the supply chain. It's not just the brand part fault. It's not just the agency fault, although it's easy to blame both in this, in this situation. When you look at the um, like DSP side, DSP, they need to be controlling for the quality of traffic that they're actually um, providing to advertisers. On the supply side, you know, the, the, the publishers, of course, should be fact-checking their content and doing all the things that they should be doing, but they should also be looking at where, um, where else their impressions might be served in, in a network. The ad tech industry needs to absolutely clean, it, clean up its act, and there needs to be more uh, regulations in place. I don't mean government regulation, but just industry regulation on um, what can get monetized and what should get monetized by ad tech platforms. And then on the supply, on the SSP side, I mean, this is the this is the one part that kills me every time because I, you know, when you, when you speak to the SSPs, you say, it's not, this isn't just my fault. Like we're scrubbing the inventory for harmful disinformation. We're making sure that content isn't showing up. Like, okay. But what, what does that mean? <laughs> what counts as harmful disinformation? And what that means is like, you're, you're taking out the really, really, really bad content that of course no brand wants to show up against. But that's leaving you only marginally protected from all of the other content that's making it through. All of the other content that's likely deemed disinformation, other disinformation that's maybe not as quote unquote harmful, <laughs> according to the SSP. So from the inventory side, if you're not, if you're allowing bad inventory into the supply, I mean, that's, that's a, to me, one of the number one problems. You can try to protect and protect and protect as much as you want from the brand and the agency side. But if the inventory is bad <laughs> and the um what's being allowed into the inventory is bad then you're just you know kind of punching an upward battle so i think the cleanup a big cleanup needs to happen on the ssp side but what's their motivation i mean that's how they get paid right like it's a rep share with the publishers so i know that's <laughs> the problem because the incentives are so off right now and i and i have to admit i don't know that i have you know the catch-all solution for this but i'll say you're right. Like more, more impressions means more monetization for the supply side. So, and if they were to completely eradicate all misinformation and disinformation, depending on the volume in their inventory, that could also mean that CPMs go up, which is not a good incentive on the brand side, right? So there's this like money situation that needs to be figured out where brands need to push enough and be willing to pay a higher CPM for higher quality inventory. And as a result, SSVs need to be willing to remove the content, even if it means less to, to actually monetize. So before we move on to dealing with this, um, I want to go a little bit deeper into the truth. 
Because now that we understand that there's multiple players involved in this, most with very good intentions, but aren't able to manage every piece of supply chain, as you said, I have a feeling that there's also that truth is subjective to some. There's still humans deciding what are good sites, what are bad sites, what's good content, what's bad content. And as much as we'd like to be all noble and stuff, um, there's some bad actors in this situation. It's why it's gotten this bad, right? Yes. So there's a lot there. I, first of all, I'd said let's put misinformation to the side a few minutes ago. I think we need to bring it back in because that's, that's the tougher part of this question for me. Like disinformation, I draw a hard line at that. I, like, I, I think most brands would draw a hard line. Like we don't want to be funding, funding that. But misinformation is a different story because oftentimes what's deemed misinformation is politically motivated and is different based on who you talk to. And when you're talking about, you know, things like COVID-19, that something that was misinformation today might actually be truth tomorrow because it's a fast moving issue and, and the science keeps changing. So I think misinformation is really tough. And that's where it comes to really knowing your brand, knowing your brand values, deciding what matters to you and what thresholds you have for, um, for showing up on potentially risky sites. And I think brands need to make decisions around, is it okay for you to be in potentially divisive news content? Is that a place that's um, too risky for you? And deciding what your risk factor is and deciding what you're willing to fund and not. And some of that also comes down to who your audience is and knowing your audience and, just, and matching up um, what your audience beliefs are and what they care about and where they're consuming with what your brand values are. And you might find that your audience is spending a lot of time on a news program or a site or a place that isn't aligned with your brand values. And guess what? Maybe you want to find a different place to find that audience because you don't feel comfortable showing up there. Or you make a decision that, okay, we're actually, this is in line with our values. This is in line with what we believe and where we want to show up. So we're going to do that. So it's so individual, but I think it comes down to brands really knowing what they stand for, what their values are and what they're, what they're willing to risk or not risk when they're making decisions. Now I also say, the thing that I would hate to see happen in, in all of this and in brands becoming hopefully safer with the way they're placing their media is that they stop funding good publishers. Like there's the, the risk that you say, okay, this is too much. The risk is too high. I'm never going to fund any news publisher again. I think that would be such a mistake because you're, you're taking the problem of sure I'm defunding disinformation, but then you're not on the other side funding the credible good stuff. That's really, really important. And actually really high quality um, viewership. So I think you need to balance those things and make sure that you find ways to still fund those credible publishers while you're making your brand safer. You do, but don't you have to put pressure on the contracts, you know, so that there is more accountability? You know, we can't just pass it through. Again, we talked about the marketers, of course, all the stuff that you talked about. What are your brand values? What's your risk tolerance? They pass that on their agency and then their agency needs to take all those into account as well. But then eventually the media plan is in the machine and it's going. And so how do you regulate that? How do you keep a con, you know, accountability on the publisher and uh, the platform side of things? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, you saw the, if you saw the situation that happened on CNN, there was an ad run 
Um, it was an Applebee's ad that ran during U- Ukraine coverage. Um, and it was the ad unit was like a screen and screen ad unit. So you basically saw these Applebee's run adding for whatever the promotion was. And then just behind it, like horrific footage about what's happening in Ukraine. And I think that's an example where <laughs> it's not Applebee's fault necessarily that that happened. That's on the publisher. That's on CNN for not having the right inventory in place for the content that they have showing. Like there should never have been a screen and screen ad showing during that kind of content and they should have known better. So I, I agree. I think some of that is a whole lot of it is putting, it's putting pressure on the publishers and the media partners that you're working with. And from, you know, the publisher side, it's building a long-term relationship with them. It's, it's sitting down with them and saying, how can we work together in a way where I can show up in places I know are safe. I know are right for my brand. I know we're in line with where we want to be and also, you know, continue to fund this. So that might mean that you're not programmatically buying the New York times. You're not programmatically buying some of these publishers. It might mean you're going direct for some of those partnerships, which again, brings a little bit of a premium, but actually an opportunity to do deeper integration and better partnerships. So Kelsey, your solution to this is creating a mindful media strategy. You want to unpack that for us? I can. Uh, So in the industry, there's been so much conversation around brand safety, as I've talked about today, uh, brand suitability and responsibility. I just think that those things at this point are table stakes. Like, of course, your brand should be in safe environments. Of course, you should be selecting places that are suitable for what your brand values are. Of course, you should be responsible with your data and with where you're showing up and, and the choices that you're making. So I think we need to move beyond that. And, and so that's why I think we need to be mindful with the way that we actually plan and buy our media and not just responsible. And the way to find that is, is one, being proactive. You're not waiting to be called out. You're actually proactively finding ways to work with new partners, to develop those inclusion exclusion lists, to um, take your buy into your own hands and not just let it run. The second thing is that you're values-based. So you are clear about your brand values, what you care about, and you apply those values to your media and you apply that to your partners and you're willing to walk away from partners who aren't aligned with your values. And then finally, it's innovative. So you're willing, again, to look at the new tech partners that are coming out there. I think in this environment that we're in right now, it's inevitable that there will be new solutions popping up. MediaVax is a company that's popped up lately that helps with Um, that's helping with social content verification, like these new partners will continue to pop up, continue to test with them, try to try them out, test and learn, change your processes, be willing to take those risks and chances and continue to innovate. So again, mindful media, proactive, values-based and innovative. And who are the agencies or other partners that are actually, uh, they're doing what, what you're talking about right now? Yeah, IPG is is a really interesting one. They um, media brands they have a responsible uh, responsible media principles list, which includes misinformation as part of it. But it's a pretty I think it's eleven different factors, pretty extensive list, and what they consider to be most important when they're being responsible with with their media. Uh, and they also apply that to an audit that they do. So they go and market and they audit all of the partners that they work with with like hundreds of questions and. They make them fill it out and they say, you know, if you don't meet a certain threshold for us, then we won't work with you. And they've actually found that over the, the years that they've been doing this, they've seen improvements in scores from, from the partners that they're working with. So it's actually forcing the industry to, to make change. It's like, we'll pull money if you don't do it. 
So I think um, that's one really successful uh, way that I've seen agencies take it into their own hands. And there are, are there others that are being proactive to get ahead of this? Yeah, Publicis is another one. Um, their uh, angle is, is more working with some of the industry groups. So they work closely with um, with like GARM um, and some, and some, and I think they work with IAB as well, but some of the just industry groups to bring some more standardization to, to this. So starting to define the problem, cause that's, you know, <laughs> the first step to fixing the problem. Um, so helping define the problem, they're working on developing best practices that can be applied to, you know, anyone in the industry who's, who's trying to battle this. So I think they're also doing a good job of um, making those things accessible to the industry. Uh, and then the other one I would say is um, OMG. They and their approach is is also different. So OMG is Omnicom. Yes, yes, Omnicom. So they have a council where they are part of what they're doing is working with uh, social media platforms to push on specific features on the platform. So they're not just saying, and I'm using this as an example, like Facebook, you need to clean up their act. They would they would go to Facebook and say this specific feature is something that should be changed and fixed to make the experience safer for consumers and for our brand. And they would work with them to do that and basically, you know, use the leverage that they have to make those changes. So they're, they're going at it from a, a more micro uh, perspective to make change. And then you have Publicis, which is looking at standardization. And then um, IPG is really uh, holding partners uh, to, to be accountable. Do you think these agencies would ever work together on moving some of these pieces forward or is that just a uh, too much you know kind of frenemy situation happening i mean maybe i, I think if I, and that's where i think it comes down to some of the the industry groups where like the, you know foray is gone yeah. and not to say they're not doing some of this work and, and they're trying to do some work around this but i think that's the sort of common point that can help bring everyone together around the table because it's sort of a neutral party that yeah. helps to do that makes sense how do we tell our marketers where to start? It is clear that this this challenge on trust through our media plans is going to become uh, an issue, uh, an increasing an issue, particularly as we try to protect our brands amongst all the culture wars and all the things. There's lots of tension out there. If you were going to give one solid piece of advice right now to close this podcast, where do they start? First thing that you should do is very simple. Develop an inclusion and exclusion list and use third-party data providers to do it. So talk to NewsGuard, talk to GDI, and make sure you're incorporating the data that they have and the information that they have into your decisioning around that. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.